I'm Lisa Dale Miller. You're about to hear a Dharma talk I gave at Marin Sangha on March 12, 2017. The topic of this talk is intrepidity and fearlessness. Intrepidity is strength in the face of danger. And fearlessness is a quality that was mentioned over and over again in the Pali Suttas as well as in the Mahayana and Vajrayana Sutras. Taking a deeper look at how the Buddha and later Buddhist teachers used fearlessness and intrepidity as a way to understand how to apply the Dharma in daily life helps make Dharma relevant in modern times, especially in the challenging times that we find ourselves these days. So I hope you enjoy this talk. Well, it's been quite a, I guess it's been quite a while since I was here. November, I think. Yes, right. And we were all devastated. How much more devastated are you now? I've been giving some pretty fiery Dharma talks lately. So I guess I'm just going to continue the theme. I feel pretty devastated by the efforts of our current elected representatives to unravel our nation's democracy. And this is, of course, not an unfounded fear. It is actually occurring right before our very eyes. And then there is the reality that all of us are suffering in America. Those who are not, to me, they're either deluded about what's happening, or they are the beneficiaries and instigators of the unraveling of Americans' ethos of social justice, care, wisdom, and freedom. And yes, we all know there have been many times in American history where those principles have not been followed. On the other hand, generating anger about all of this is actually a hindrance to transforming this destructive wave we're experiencing of ignorance, greed, and hatred. So I thought tonight I would talk about intrepidity, which of course is what is most needed now. So what is intrepidity? It is the strength of mind to carry on in spite of danger. Some of the synonyms for intrepidity is bravery, courageousness, daring, fearlessness, dauntlessness, and of course my favorite, guts. Intrepidity and fearlessness feature quite a bit in the Buddhist teachings in different ways. In the Mahayana Buddhist teachings, they often call our universe the world of abhaya, and abhaya is the word for fearlessness. And they do this because they acknowledge 
that humans must be extremely courageous to live in this world and experience the kleshas. Of course, the kleshas are our afflictive emotions. Anuttuttan explains this this way. He says, the Buddhist path does not ask us to reject this ordinary world or run away into a better or ideal realm where one can completely ignore the challenges and the messiness of human life. He says, to be awakened does not mean to transcend anything but rather to be in this world completely, to embrace everything. Being in this world completely and embracing everything requires intrepidity and fearlessness. In Mahayana Buddhism, there are these five transcendent Buddhas, and the Buddha at the north, so they're sort of in a directional circle with the uh, Buddha, the main Buddha of clarity, right in the center. So the Buddha in the north is Amoga City, and Amoga and City, when you put them together, what they mean is accomplishing wisdom. So Amoga City is the Buddha of accomplishing wisdom, and he is associated with energy accomplishment, generosity, and kindness. So I'm going to teach you the Amogasiddhi Mudra, which I think you will find fascinating because Amogasiddhi is the epitome and the representation of fearlessness. That's why he's at the north. The north is the direction of walking the path of life. And so here's the mudra. You can all do it. It's easy to do, okay? So you take your left hand and you place it upright in your lap like this. And just feel the feeling of the left hand, okay? Just feel the energy, what that implies to you, this upright, open palm right in your lap. Just feel that, okay? And then your right hand is going to do this. It's going to do the... um, Stop sign, <laughs> mudra. <laughs> yeah. So now feel the feeling of your right hand. Yeah. Now go back and forth with your awareness and feel the difference between the feeling of the position of the left hand and the position of the right hand. Now, you all have your eyes closed, and I want you to open your eyes, because this is the mudra of fearlessness, okay? So you need to be able to see the world and be, remember, completely in the world. So I love this mudra. So what are you all getting? Just call out. What are you getting in your left hand? How does that left hand feel? Grounding. Grounding, okay. What else? Holding everything. Holding everything, yeah. What else? Receptive. Receptive. Calm. Anything else? Offering. Offering, yes. Supportive. Supportive. Yes. Now, how about that right hand? (laughs) What does that feel like? Go ahead, call it out. Power. Power, yes. Energy. Integrity. Integrity. What else? Protection. Protection, yes. Like a boundary. Like a boundary, that's right. Anything else? Contraction. Contraction, okay? Yeah. 
And now just let your awareness open to the whole mudra. So the, the integration of these two different energies, yeah? Force. Grounded force. What else? Energy running through my body. Energy running through your body. What else? Balance. Connection. Yes. Balance. Did somebody say balance? Mm-hmm. Yes. Strength. Strength. Yes. Fortitude. Fortitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? Power. Power. But a grounded, balanced power. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And notice the this, this sense of um, willingness to be here. It is such an embodied mudra. Yeah? There's like, there is no doubt. This is the mudra that cuts through doubt for me. Mm-hmm. And that's fearlessness. Okay. So now you know the mudra of intrepidity and fearlessness. So anytime you feel as though you're flagging in your ability to just stand up in in all of this, that just go right into the mudra and just rest in the mudra. You know, mudras are mudras for a reason. It's very powerful to be able to use the body as a mantra. One more thing, fearlessness takes on a whole other um, sense when you get into Dzogchen and Mahamudra teachings over in the Vajrayana. And a good way to describe how they experience fearlessness is from the king of Samadhi Sutra. And in that sutra, fearlessness is defined as being undaunted and indifferent to attack not to be afraid of anything whatsoever. Fearlessly walking the Dharma path and fearlessly acknowledging the hindrances along the path. So this is very important. So there's this quality in the Dzogchen and Mahamudra vehicle that in their essence, all things are essentially just open luminosity at their core, and therefore, anything can come, and all things pass away in the openness of awareness. And that fearlessness is the commitment to stay within the Dharma. Intrapiti does show up in the Pali Suttas as well. So in the Samyutta Nikaya, there is a short verse which is called the gift of fearlessness. The gift of fearlessness in this verse is described as living without hurting living beings, fearing blame and doing nothing wicked, praising the cautious, not the incautious. Through conscience, the good do nothing wicked. So that you can see here that fearlessness and intrepidity are now aligned with the capacity for non-harming, for ahimsa. They're saying here that fearlessness is this gift of nonviolence, and that nonviolence arises from within the innate goodness that is within each of us, 
and which we can harness anytime we need to through intention, compassion, and wise action. So fearlessness requires that anytime we have an intention to harm, that we recognize the intention and we choose non-harming instead. And that takes a lot of courage, frankly, especially in the face of harm, which may be being perpetrated, or our own mind, which may be asking us to say things, or do things, or think things that might in fact be harming to ourselves and others. In the Majima Nikaya, there is a verse, a very famous verse, which talks about something called the Dhamma I. And in fact, in this verse, it is not the Buddha who is experiencing the Dhamma I. It is a lowly householder like us. Um, and so this householder's name is Upali. So the verse says, as Upali, the householder, sat, there spontaneously arose the dustless, stainless Dhamma eye. And what is the dustless, stainless Dhamma eye? It is the clear recognition that whatever is subject to arising is also subject to cessation. Then having seen the Dhamma, having reached the Dhamma, known the Dhamma, reached a footing in the Dhamma, having crossed over, and beyond doubt, having had no more questioning, Upali the householder gained fearlessness and was independent of others with regard to the teacher's message. Now this is a very famous verse. So in this verse, fearlessness and intrepidity is now being connected up with another gift, and that is the recognition of anicca, or impermanence. Awakening to the impermanent nature of all phenomena, and that awakening leads to the fearlessness of non-reification and not clinging to distorted dualistic views of self and world. And that is why it is called the Dhamma I. It is that which cuts through completely any sense of inherent separateness, of inherent individuality, of inherent existence of any phenomena. This is the Dhamma I of emptiness. All things arise, exist, and pass away. Simultaneously, they co-arise, coexist, and co-cessate. Nothing exists in a vacuum. That is emptiness, that is the Dhamma I, that is fearlessness. And then one more verse from the Pali Suttas. Now this verse is a very famous verse called the lion's roar. The Buddha is basically saying, what are the qualities of an awakened being, or Tathagata? So the Buddha says to Shariputta, 
The reckless Gotama teaches a dharma merely hammered out by reasoning, following his own line of inquiry as it occurs to him. So the Buddha is being very clear. This is coming from a rational mind, and this is all about discernment, looking within and discerning the nature of reality. And so there are several lists in this verse, the lion's roar, where he goes through all kinds of qualities of a Tathagata. And one of that set of qualities, believe it or not, are the four kinds of intrepidity. So clearly, you got to be fearless to be a Tathagata. They are written in a kind of language that basically states you can't have this until you are a Tathagata. But when I look at it, I say to myself, you know, these are all the qualities that we are practicing in order to be able to awaken. So I decided to take the very same qualities but write them in a way where we could all feel like, oh yes, this is a kind of fearlessness I can be practicing on the way to my eventual awakening. Okay? <coughs> so, it's very interesting because each one of these qualities, the Buddha is very specific. He says that these four kinds of intrepidity allow the Buddha to abide in safety, fearlessness, and intrepidity. Pretty interesting. Ooh, there were a few people who said they felt, somebody said, protection when they were in the Moga City. Yeah, Mudra. So here are the four kinds of intrepidity that allow a person to rest in safety, fearlessness. The first one is knowing with wisdom, clarity, and confidence one's state of mind. So this is an ongoing practice in fearlessness because one's state of mind is continually shifting, right? So knowing with wisdom, being able to discern, to clearly know, and to have confidence in your discerning and clarity, what your state of mind is at any given, given time. <coughs> and when one does that, one abides in safety, fearlessness, and intrepidity. And that makes sense, right? Because the definition of intrepidity is feeling strength in the midst of danger. So we have to know our mind in order to be able to feel strength in the midst of danger. The second kind of intrepidity, knowing with wisdom, clarity, and confidence that one's mind is free from distortion and afflictive thoughts and emotions. Now this one's a little more tricky, right? Knowing one's mind is free from distortion and afflictive thoughts and emotions requires that we know our state of mind at any given time. And the truth is, the mind is not always lost in afflictive thoughts and emotions and distortions. We do have moments of clarity. So in a way, fearlessness 
and intrepidity and safety arise from the capacity to know one's mind, but then to be able to discern, oh, is there some distortion here? Am I lost in some kind of habitual reactivity towards something that I'm either inventing is fearful or something that is actually fearful? And remember, if we are able to discern with wisdom, clarity, and confidence, distortion and affliction in the mind, then we abide in safety, fearlessness, and intrepidity. The third kind of intrepidity, knowing with wisdom, clarity, and confidence, the unobstructed nature of mind. Now remember, this is the Pali Suttas. This is not Dzogchen. This is the Buddha saying, this is the kind of intrepidity that a Tathagata has. So now we have three practices with mind. Knowing one's state of mind at any given moment. Discerning whether or not the mind is lost in distortion or is overwhelmed with afflictive thoughts and emotions. And then the third one is really knowing that no matter what is happening internally or externally, the mind has an unobstructed capacity to know, which means there is no boundary, there is no limit to wisdom. In fact, the Paramis tell us this, right? Transcendent wisdom. There is no limit. When we have confidence, wisdom, and clarity that we can actually know what is right, and we don't have doubt. (laughs) Who said? Somebody said no doubt. (laughs) This thing, yeah? When we are able to do that with confidence, then even in the midst of hindrances, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of severe circumstances, we can know the unobstructed nature of awareness. And when we know that, we abide in safety, fearlessness, and intrepidity. The fourth quality of intrepidity, according to the Buddha, is knowing with wisdom, clarity, and confidence the capacity of Dhamma practice to cessate suffering. Even in a tremendously difficult moment, under duress, worried, anxious, fearful, predicting doom, even in a moment like that, we each have the capacity to remember to practice. Because when we practice, that is the end of suffering. Suffering does not end by any other means than practice. And I love, I just love 
these four kinds of intrepidity because this is the practice manual for pretty much all of Buddhism, don't you think? <laughs> right, right here in this sweet little package under the guise of do this and you will abide in safety, fearlessness, and intrepidity. Any danger that may arise, this is your handbook for sanity. So another gift of fearlessness is unconditioned inner confidence, which arises from direct experience of transcendent wisdom, unobstructed clarity of mind, and unimpeded open-heartedness to all experience. Because when we are doing this practice, what is there to fear? Ask yourself, what can harm us when we know with clarity our state of mind, when we know when the mind has distortion and is suffering from afflictive thoughts and emotions, when we can rest in the unobstructed nature of awareness, which is the refuge, and when we know we can practice the Dharma and with that practice cessate any suffering that might be occurring within us. And I would say all of these steps allow us to recognize maybe, maybe, accurately, somebody else's state of mind, whether or not someone else is free from distortion or suffering from distortion and afflictive emotions, whether or not they understand the nature of awareness, whether they have any um, framework for awakening, for clarity, for wisdom, and whether or not they know how to reduce suffering for themselves and others. If the answer is no, then this practice leads us to the open-heartedness of innate compassion. And that allows us to then use the Dhamma practice of liberating beings from suffering, either through our own practice that liberates ourselves or through actions we can take in order to actually reduce the suffering of others. So with all these teachings in mind, as a Buddhist, I have decided that my job is to discern internal, mental, and emotional distortions as they arise, and to clear my mind's perceptive lens of untruth. And through this effort, land firmly in the fearlessness of things as they actually are. We all have emotions. And I mean all. Me too. I've got lots of them. And I have come to recognize that they can either be a doorway to awakening or they can be a bottomless pit of distorted views that obscure the mind and close the Dhamma eye. And when the Dhamma eye closes, it means we're lost in the delusion that this will never end, it can never change, 
I have no power. That's delusion. So I've been offering myself the Dhamma eye, pointing out instruction regularly during the day. <laughs> I continually recognize the illusion of continuance and security and the unending ways in which my mind grasps at distorted egoic narratives that perpetuate the pervasive conceptual source of samsaric suffering. Me getting lost in the idea that there ever was any security. There was never any security, sorry. That everything will always be the same. Nothing will ever change. Everything is always changing. So I recognize over and over again that the human condition is one of uncertainty. And by the way, I've learned from years and years of being with my patients and having them say to me, oh, I just can't stand uncertainty. And I, you know, I say to them, okay, you think you don't like uncertainty. Lots of people think they don't like uncertainty. So then I ask them, what is uncertainty? And you know what they do? They basically narrate a story of their imminent failure. Now that is not uncertainty. So I say to them, I'm sorry, you know, that is one story that is always going to be bad. It is always going to end badly. I said, uncertainty actually is a completely open field of possibility. It is every possible occurrence, every possible result, including that one that you just named, but everything else between that and amazing, 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 and everything in between. It's just an open space. That's uncertainty. And they look at me, and they realize they're not afraid of uncertainty. They just don't have any idea how to actually drop into uncertainty. So then I teach them how to drop into uncertainty, which you all know because you have the Dharma and the Dharmic skills. I recognize over and over again that the human condition is one of complete, open possibility, uncertainty, and an utter lack of security. And my patients, when I say this to them, they really, their eyes get very, very big. So then I say to them, think of it this way. Every morning I wake up and I just tell myself my office is still here. This building is still here. And they look at me and they shake their heads. And it's like, that makes sense, of course, your building is still here. And I look at them and I say, do you think on 9-11, the people who got up to go to work at the World Trade Center actually that they all thought the building was going to be there for the whole day. And then they look at me and they think, oh, and I said, yes, that's right. We narrate a story of continuance of everything because it's easy. The brain is lazy and it's easy. But it's just not the way things are. In any moment, anything can happen and everything can change. And we are bad predictors of such things. I'm continually relearning to love the truth of uncertainty and lack of security. Each time I experience how devastatingly wrong my mentally constructed schemas really are. 
and they are really wrong a lot. Certainly, the realization that I've just spoken brings initial existential anxiety. But the basic recognition of the fundamental impermanence of existence is the bearer of the ultimate freedom from suffering. This is the truth the Buddha awakened to as well. And even he felt this uneasiness at first. When he awakened, he purportedly said, this whole existence is always trembling. I long to find myself a place unscathed, but I could not find it. And don't we all long for that too? But then he awakened and he was like, what am I looking for? This is ridiculous. Everything is continually shifting and changing and trembling. There is no place to land. It is a groundless ground. So please, please remember, suffering is not what feels bad, and non-suffering is not what feels good. Knowing the actuality of inner and outer experience is non-suffering. The four forms of intrepidity, that is non-suffering. And it is non-suffering precisely because it liberates us from the suffering of false narratives, habitual assumptions, afflictive thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. That non-suffering arises each time we recognize that the true nature of afflictive thoughts and emotions is impermanent, transparent, and just phenomena. In the groundless ground of just knowing, self-delusion has nothing to hold on to. That is intrepidity. Mm. Now I'm practicing clear knowing, the imprisoning narratives of my own powerlessness, hopelessness, and helplessness. And they come up every day. But the truth is we all have a voice, and this is the time to use our voice wisely and often. One of my Mahamudra teachers, Minja Rinpoche, says that each of us puts ourselves into our own little prisons, and we are the prison guards. I am working hard to free myself from my own internal prison. Maybe you would be interested in doing that as well. I don't know. My Dzogchen teacher, Zokni Rinpoche, and by the way, they are brothers, says, relax ego fixation and allow spaciousness to emerge. When that spaciousness comes, rest in the spaciousness without modifying. When experience is not stopped, by acceptance or rejection of circumstances, then one can really just let go into phenomena and experience itself. That is where there is no hope and no fear, and that is where inner fearlessness arises. All insight into the causes of suffering and non-suffering spring forth from the rich soil of awareness, particularly embodied awareness, being here completely with fearlessness. If our efforts in fearlessness and intrepidity lead to a wiser and more compassionate world, 
that's good. But in order to make that happen, we have to offer our disembodied and anesthetized citizens tools to re-inhabit and reconnect with embodied awareness, with intercorporeality, with the fact that we are all in this together. Despite the danger and divisiveness, we are in this together. Much of the practice that I've been doing recently that I have described to you has really led me into the territory of tolerance. And it's been very interesting. There's this beautiful distinction. I don't know, I might talk more about this next week. But I'm starting to really begin to directly see a distinction between tolerance and discernment. So there's some kind of tolerance that becomes ignorance. It just becomes diluted. Because on the Buddhist path, we are not interested in tolerating ignorance, hatred, and greed, right? We are interested in recognizing when the three poisons arise and averting them, being able to work with our thoughts and our actions and our emotions to be able to not act on the what's called the three poisons, ignorance, hatred, and greed. And I think if you even just take a moment and you think about some of the difficulties we're experiencing right now in this nation, you can pretty much see how ignorance, greed, and hatred is all at the root of all of it. All of it is just arising from this. So tolerance, how to develop tolerance and how to develop this incredibly keen, discerning eye for ignorance, hatred, and greed, and being able to avert it internally and externally. I'm going to just pause there, and you always have so much wisdom, so I thought I would just spend these last 10 minutes. Questions, comments? Last thing you said about tolerance and how I heard it is it's danger, it can be dangerous because you can slip into delusion from tolerance. I like the word capacity better than tolerance. Tolerance to me sounds like an acceptance without discernment. Tolerance is like put up with what's happening. But the word capacity to me means you have the capacity to endure or to see yourself through the difficulty rather than tolerate it. So that was very beautiful. So there is the word capacity seems to be a better representation of what the qualities of tolerance that we would like to be able to enact in our lives because this person says that tolerance has that funny feeling of acceptance. This is, by the way, this is why I never use the word acceptance. I always use recognition, right? Because acceptance... Oh, it's just this funky place where you go to agreement. It's just not good. So, same thing here with tolerance. Because capacity is a, the ability to endure, I think is what you said. To endure, even in the midst of difficulty. And I love that. It's beautiful. 
So earlier in the talk, you were talking about being free of afflictive emotions. And when I hear that term, afflictive emotion, I think, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean unless you're in a complete state of loving kindness, you're not where you need to be to be acting wisely in the world? And I, I wonder about that because sometimes I think you can feel certain emotions that seem negative, like righteous indignation or or even anger or upset about a situation maybe out in the world, but it's what's the driving force to empower you or to make you, to um, catalyze you to respond. So I, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let me just say, for any of you who have not heard it, um, the Dharma talk that I gave a few weeks ago is on that. <laughs> if you go to Dharma talks on my website, it's the first one that's listed. Anger is a perfectly natural human emotion. On the other hand, one does not need to be anger in order to know right from wrong. I can know injustice and I can fight against injustice, but I do not have to have hatred in my heart when I do it. And in Buddhism, the, the word hatred and anger both fall under the category of aversion. And aversion falls under the category of tanha, which is craving and aversion. Afflictive emotions, this, this is, Honestly, I could do an entire talk maybe just on afflictive emotions, especially in the Buddhist tradition, because there have been so many different ways to come at the in just natural arising of difficult emotions. But the, the truth is, no matter how you do it, whether you do it the way the Theravadans did, which is just to try to cut off the root of all of it, so you're never feeling any of it, or whether you do what the Mahayana Buddhists did, which is... They're going to come up, and you have to recognize they're coming up because you're lost in self-cherishing. Or you do it the way the Vajrayana Buddhists do, which is, great, anger, no problem, just bring it on the path. <laughs> recognize the true nature of anger, which is, anger is just awareness anyway. So what is there to be angry about? And why is anger a problem? You can see these, these three Buddhist ways are very different from each other. But they are all essentially saying it is when you, and Philip used to use this a lot in the old days, he used to use the term taking birth in. Remember that? Yeah. So it's not that anger is there. Anger can come. We're human. It's whether or not I am having a relationship to the arising of feelings of anger from I'm that anger that's righteous indignation. I'm that anger. I am nothing other than that anger. That anger is me, or I am aware that anger is here. Now, which one do you think you have more capacity? Thank you. You have more capacity to be able to really be with and care for your anger. I'm anger, or anger is arising. You see? Yeah. Does that help? The afflictive aspect of the clashes is not that a terrible emotion is arising. It is 
whether or not one is identified or over-identified with that arising as me. That's delusion in every single Buddhist school. doesn't matter which one. Do you talk about the transformation of anger into discernment? There are some very beautiful Buddhist teachings that say that anger is a diamond sword to the truth. So, normally, as you have said, when we feel angry, and I really do mean anger, I don't just mean I don't like this, okay, that's preference. I mean something has occurred as an affront, and anger is arising. Normally, anger is showing us something's wrong. We are wired up to have anger come up when something is wrong, okay? And what we have to do in that moment is discern whether or not something is actually wrong or whether or not, you know, our little ego delusion is causing us to have some distorted notion about what happened and really nothing is wrong. So anger can be a diamond sword to clarity and truth. You can use it that way if you don't get lost in the over-identifying with the um, sort of distorted reactivity of anger. Anger can show you the truth about something. If you stay with the truth and you don't get lost in reactivity, you can actually dynamically respond to conditions and maybe right some wrong that has occurred. Does that make sense? It's one of those things you've got to practice yourself to, to do. Well, yes, all of these things. That's the problem with the Buddhist path, or the beauty of the Buddhist path, right? <laughs> you got to practice. <laughs> Anybody else? I feel caught in a dilemma, seeing the truth of what is, and this is temporary, and things do not stay the same. And yet, they're getting the EPA, and they're putting coiled water back in our rivers that we've fought for so long to try to correct that. And that's not going to go away real quick, even if we get things turned around. This is true. Yes. So this is such a deep level of suffering, right, that is being perpetrated. It would be one thing, you know, if they were just perpetrating it on themselves. But they're involving the rest of us in this incredibly unwise view of right and wrong, of collective co-living. It's, it's just un almost unimaginable, really, in some ways. And so, there is no reason to not resist. Resist. Resistance is not getting lost in craving and aversion, okay? Resistance is active, speaking up, do it, do it, do it. Do everything you can to undermine the effort to um, gut care in our nation. So 
See if you can be fearless, if you cannot get lost in powerlessness. As I said, this is why I'm doing this practice. Everything you can do, do. Everything you can do, do. And it will all make a difference in the end, because you will know that you did it. Even if it doesn't right the ship immediately. And then I do want to remind us, and I'll probably talk more about this next week, our small human minds cannot begin to comprehend the ramifications of what is occurring. We can't. And so in our little small minds, we can just see the gutting of the EPA and say, this is the end of clean water. On the other hand, we don't really have any idea what might arise from each step along the way here. Try not to get lost in the beautiful skill, but terrible habit of predicting. We truly cannot know, okay? Impermanence, intrepidity, fearlessness. This is the path. These are the gifts 